Well, good morning. You know, you know what I miss is I miss shaking hands. I really miss that. So here's what I want to do. First of all, this is the 4th of July weekend. Are there any veterans or anybody that are, uh, has served in the service? If you have, could you please stand? All right. Any more? Give Bob. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Stay standing. Because I'm going to ask everybody... I'm going to ask everybody else to stand, and what I want you to do is wave to people across. That's going to be our way. Let's do it. Stand up and wave to people. You can even shout their name out. Wait. Oh, look at that. Isn't that nice? Doesn't that feel good? That feels good. And then if you could take out your Bibles while you're standing. We're continuing in our study in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 2 is where we're at. And we're going to study uh, 6 through 16, but uh, I'm just going to read up to verse 10. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 10, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. You may be seated. There have been, um, I have been privy to what other circles of Christians say about Baptists. So we are a Baptist church, and I know what other circles of Christians say about Baptists. Often they'll whisper it or they'll wink. And here's what they will say about Baptists. Baptists are notorious, are notorious for not talking about the Holy Spirit is what they say. They don't talk about the Holy Spirit in their life. They usually don't talk about the Holy Spirit often in their teaching, and specifically, where is the Holy Spirit in their worship? I've heard it. Oh, it's just not. Something's missing. Or you can hear them say, where is the abundant life? I've heard that. I've heard that even after my teaching. What I normally like to do is, if I have a chance to talk to somebody who says that, I like to ask them this question. How do you know if the Holy Spirit is actually alive in your life or in your church or in the worship service? How do you know it's the Holy Spirit? The answers are usually subjective. Actually, I asked this question online, and a lot of people gave some great answers. Some people said, by faith, I, I understand his word, which we're going to talk about. Great answer. Other people say, I have fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. Absolutely, but there are some people that think the Spirit of God primarily works through feelings. Some people say, well, I felt great today. I know the Holy Spirit is alive. Or I cried at a song, so it's got to be the Holy Spirit. The problem I have is, are you sure that's not, you know, if you feel good, are you sure that's not because you've laid off the, the sugar and the white flour and the pop that you drink all night long? Might be that. It could also be, you know what might cause those tears? Have you ever watched a good movie or watched or listened to a great 
artists sing and they just cause you to cry. Every time I watch The Greatest Showman and they have that song, Never Enough, Never Enough, Never, Never, Never Enough. And she goes like that, Never. You know, I kind of see a tear coming out of my eye. I don't show my kids. My mom used to say my grandfather used to watch soaps and cry. Is that the Holy Spirit? Is crying and feeling the Holy Spirit? Actually, there's, some, there's different agreements on this. Pentecostal teaching, traditional Pentecostal teaching, believes in what's called double baptism. You have the first baptism by faith, second baptism, the Holy Spirit comes upon you in a way you can tell is tongues and also prophecy. I get words of knowledge. That's traditional Pentecostal teaching. We believe in a singular baptism. When I believe in Jesus, I'm baptized once, and we are all baptized into Christ. And we're going to talk about primarily what the Spirit of God does in our lives. That's what our message is going to be about. However, there's a new movement afoot. It's called the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. It's really starting in Bethel, but it's all over the globe. And it's really the third or fourth wave of the Holy Spirit by hyper-Pentecostalism, where they, in the New Apostolic Reformation, it's really seen in this, this church called Bethel. Bethel believes when they sing long and loud enough, gold specks of dust will come down out of the rafters. They believe that the Spirit of God is really alive in you. Sometimes while you're at restaurants, feathers from the sky will fall. Those are angels' feathers, and they'll have to dust them off their arms. One person from this church said that they were praying, and when they were praying, an earthquake happened, and a giant foot of an angel could be seen, as big as a church. And they saw this angel grab a demon and throw him in the pits of hell. Last year, they had a great revival in Australia, two years ago, what the NAR did. And they were having teams that were being prepared to raise the dead. And they were having other people looking for sins on the foreheads of people where they could read them. It's called the NAR movement. It's, it's a big deal now, I'm telling you. And people are getting all excited about it. But is that... Is that the work of the Holy Spirit? I'm part of this group that I follow who have been leaving these kind of churches and these organizations. And one lady who for four years wanted to see these miracles, I read a post she wrote last week, and she said, does it feel like, anybody online, does it feel like God has left? And that's the problem sometimes when you're looking for the Holy Spirit to work in ways he might not be actually working. Paul talks about primarily how he works in here, and that's what we're talking about. The title today is The Holy Spirit and You. The Holy Spirit and You. What is the primary identifying work of the Holy Spirit? And Paul is going to go really deep into this. Last two weeks, we've been talking about his method of preaching. If you remember, he said you have the world's wisdom and you have the power of God. The world's wisdom is, it's impressive. The power of God isn't necessarily impressive. Actually, last week we said the power of God is in the cross of Christ. Christ and Him crucified. And this week, he's going to continue on in that. But verse 6 says, this is a new kind of wisdom. Verse 6, it's among the mature, we impart a wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age, or the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. 
It's a different kind of wisdom. It's a secret wisdom. It's God's wisdom, and it's his secrets that he wants to share with you. Well, who does he share them with? Verse 9. As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of men imagined, what God has prepared for who? Those who love him. So those who love him are invited in. We, we get to know his mind. We get to know his dreams. We get to know his thoughts of the future for us. In fact, in verse 7, you know what these mysteries hide? Truth for our glory, for our eternal salvation, for our participation in God's beauty. This has always been the plan. Psalm 25.14, if you want to read something on your own later that's amazing, Psalm 25.14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. That's an Old Testament way of saying for those who love Him, who adore Him, who fear Him. And He makes known to them His covenant. God shares with you His secrets. Who do you share your secrets with? Your best friend. Those who are your real friends, those who you know are really excited about the things that you have to say. I love sharing, going, coming home and sharing with my wife and saying, hey, guess what? And her, it's cool to see her eyes go, what, what's going on? You hold those secrets for those you care the most about. And what this is saying, those who God cares about the most are those who love him. So he has secrets. And then he says in verse 7, these secrets he has kept hidden since the beginning of the world. Look at verse 7. We impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which he decreed before the ages. So he's been holding this secret for a long time. Verse 9 says he prepared it for those who loved him. So it's a secret he really only wanted to share with those he knew would appreciate it. In the Greek, the word for secret is mysterion or mystery. It's a mystery. But a mystery in the New Testament is different than the kind of mystery we think of. This mystery is something that was hidden in the past, but now is revealed to those who want to know, actually. Romans 16.25 says this mystery was hidden in the writings of the Old Testament, and it was deciphered by us through the life of Christ. Christ is the code to the mysteries found in the Old Testament. Ephesians 3 says, you know what this mystery is in particular? That both Jews and Gentiles, by faith in this Christ, will get to share in the promises of God forever and become a kingdom of priests. Kings and queens. Rulers with Jesus himself. So you could say in a nutshell, you know what the mystery is? You. This, the church, we are the mystery. It's amazing to me. People who were once his enemies are now his children. You know, some people don't find this even remotely interesting. Some people think the church is boring, cold. Oh, it's one of those patriarchal institutions that was started by men. But Paul says, wait a minute, if that's how you feel about the church, it's actually a sign you weren't given access to the mystery. 
That's what he says here in verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, if they were in on the mystery, they would not have crucified the Lord. They wouldn't have killed Jesus. So there are actually some that do not have access into the heart of God and his thoughts. They don't find it interesting, but they rejected it. They're called, in verse 14, look at verse 14, they're called the natural person. They're called the natural man. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. So the natural man, according to this, is an unbeliever. People who are not spiritual. In this sense, spiritual is referring to people who are united to the Spirit of God. There's a, you know, there's the modern parlance for spiritual is everything spiritual. I'm a spiritual person because I think deeply about spiritual things. I'm so spiritual because I, I have deep thoughts about spiritual things, but they really don't know what they're talking about. In this specific thing, spiritual is in reference to unity with the Holy Spirit. New life in the Holy Spirit. Do you know how you can tell if you don't have life in the Spirit? He gives us three ways to tell you're natural. Number one... All that really impresses you is the world's wisdom. You love to listen to and follow the rulers of this age. Verse 6. Um, among the mature, we do impart a wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, they're doomed to pass away. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. How do you tell you're natural? You're really impressed by the wisdom of this world. Really impressed by it. The rulers of this age could refer to those who crucified Jesus, you know, the Jews, Romans, and those who you will crucify. Rulers of this age, according to 1 Corinthians 1.26, are those of noble intellect, those who are wise in the world's eyes. To me, these are, these are the movers and the shakers who have the podcasts and teach in the universities sometimes, or just are the popular celebrities. That's the world's wisdom. And you're impressed by it. Do you know what this celebrity said? It's interesting how politics is now being driven by celebrities because that's who people listen to. Second way you can tell you're natural is you don't accept or understand the things of God. You just don't. They don't understand. The natural man doesn't understand how Jesus could give up his life in his spot in heaven and humble himself to the death on the cross and they can't understand even how the followers of him will do the same thing. Look at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. They're foolish. There's a philosopher in the 18th century, Friedrich Nietzsche. He said, you know what? Christianity and its cross is for the weak. It's foolish. There is a new movie coming out. Actually, my daughter told me about this. She's not in this service, so you can... Yes, she is. She's right there. Jasmine told me about this movie, and I did some research on it. The name of this movie is called The Habit, and it's about a lesbian Jesus and his female lover. Isn't that a great movie coming out? Yahoo's talking all about this, Yahoo News, and I went on an article to read about it, and they have the comment section underneath. And you should read the comment section about this movie. There is fire and anger about it. A lot on the Christian side saying, how come only Christians are the ones being hated? They're the big hate group now. 
But on the other end, you always will have any, these comments, people that just like to cause problems. They're called trolls. And one troll clearly does not find Christianity and the cross legitimate. And they wrote to one Christian they were debating with, Hey lady, who told you the Bible contains any real truth? 2,000 years is a long time to edit, delete, rewrite, write, make up stories, and convert it into several languages. Come on, we know very little of Jesus or your small g God. That's, that's the natural man's mind. We, shouldn't be, we should not be surprised that a movie like this is coming out. Why? Because according to verse 8, they hate God and they even crucified him. The way you can tell you're a natural man is you want God dead. You care more about your opinions than his because the self will have no competition, especially God. But God loves everybody. God even loves that person on Yahoo that is arguing. So, God comes up with a solution to reach people. God sends himself. God sends himself not only in his son, but look how also he sends himself in verse 10 through 12. These things God has revealed to us, so he's revealed God's amazing, hidden mystery and wisdom to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So we receive this from the Spirit who is sent from God. So you could say this, that the Spirit is sent to reveal God's mind. Some people, when I say God sends himself, and I say he sends himself by the Spirit, for some people this doesn't make sense because they don't see the Holy Spirit as God. They see the Holy Spirit as some rogue agent who is sent by Jesus and the Father to teach new things and different things than Jesus and the Father already taught. He's different. He's not God. No, God is one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul gives an analogy in verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. This is an analogy. I'll explain it to you like this. Here's my sermon. I wrote this on Friday, about 2 o'clock. I finished it. And I wrote what was on my mind, what I wanted at that time, 2 o'clock on Friday. Jack, you are not allowed to respond because you were in the first service. Does anybody have any idea what was on my mind at 2 o'clock on Friday? Any, any idea? Use your logic, your reason, what you know about me. Even, you know, what, that I'm a male. Mark, you're not allowed to answer that. Anybody know? Dave, do you have any idea? Take a guess. What was I thinking about? What, what's that? I wasn't thinking about that, Melinda. I wasn't. Barbecue, what for supper? So you think I like food, Teresa, is that what you're saying? I was not thinking about that, no. You missed me. Jared, quiet. Any other ideas? What's that? 
Political? No, what? You, no, I'm not into politics. I'm trying to stay out of politics. Hard to do, but no. Any other ideas? The weekend. No, here's fireworks. No, I wasn't thinking. I wasn't. One more. Any others? My dog. No, I wasn't thinking about my dog. Here's what I was thinking about. I wrote it down. I miss vacations at Virginia Beach making saltwater taffy and catching blue crabs with rotten chicken. Why can't any of you get that? Pretty obvious. Because it's my thoughts. It's my mind. And until I reveal to you what I was thinking, you have no idea what I'm thinking. Do you know we can never assume what another person is thinking? Or what a different race is thinking? Or a different gender is thinking? And we can never ever assume what God is thinking. He even says in Isaiah, his thoughts are not our thoughts. Romans 11.34 says, no man can know the mind of God. People can speculate about God and his thinking. They can act as if they know for sure where he's taking history. But on our own, we have zero chance of thinking like God. Zero. In the book of Matthew, very interesting. Book of Matthew, chapter 16, 23 Jesus came and he said, all right, disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the Pharisees, the rulers. They are going to get me to Rome. Rome's going to kill me. I'm going to be buried for three days, and I will rise again. Peter did not like this. I mean, you wouldn't like that for your friend. You wouldn't like to hear that. Come on. You know, you want to say, Jesus, no. Here's what Peter said. Jesus, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And so naturally you'd think Jesus would say, well, that's real. I appreciate the sympathy, Peter. That's really nice. You know, if people want good for you, we all want good for the people we love. We'd say, hey, thanks for the nice thoughts. Here's what Jesus said to Peter. Um, get, me, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. And here's why. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on man. We don't even come close to thinking like God, especially when it comes to suffering. We see no good in it. But in the same way, I can reveal to you about Virginia Beach and blue crabs. God reveals to you what he's going to do through the Holy Spirit. He gives you his thoughts, his mind. It's amazing. Here's what John 14, go to John 14. 16 and 17 say. So here's Jesus. He's getting ready to leave the earth. And he says, I will ask the Father. This is verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That's a long time. That's, that's really, I mean, I didn't really think about it the first time, but that's a long time. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him because they're natural. They're natural, like we said. Because uh, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then look at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. I was talking to Trevor about this. This past week. And Trevor asked this question. Do you think people would rather have spent 
three years with Jesus on earth or have the Holy Spirit given to them forever? And I think naturally I'd, I'd want to see Jesus. Man, I'd like to see his face. I'd like to hear him, hear what his voice sounds like. I would love it. But that's only three years. And remember, they're both God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So in truth, it is far better that the Holy Spirit is with us forever than just being with Jesus for three and a half years. That's how good the Holy Spirit is. So remember, they are both God. They are both God. So then this leads to the next question. And here's the big question. How exactly, okay, if the Spirit sent, how exactly is He sent? Primarily, how is the Spirit sent? What medium, primarily, does the Spirit use? Feelings? Miracles? And miracles are when He can tangibly make things happen. He can lengthen a person's leg. He can raise the dead. Is that specifically how He works? Wonders? Signs? dreams, Paul is very clear on the Holy Spirit's primary work. There's no guesswork in his answers. Verse 13 to 16. Take a look at that. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 to 16. We impart this. That means God's free gift of the Spirit. Verse 12 is talking about the free gift of the Spirit. Verse 13 is saying we impart this. Him and His wisdom. We impart this in words. Not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We already said a natural person doesn't understand this. So verse 13 is the key in words. Logos. In this verse, it means spoken words, but also, we'll show you later, it's written words, graphe, and Second Peter. But words. So I want to say three things that he says about words in this passage. Number one, he uses the word we impart these words. What does he mean by we? Most every commentator agrees. We in this passage is referring to the apostles. So Paul uses we. The NIV says this is what we speak. So who we is referring to is the apostles and their teaching. Hebrews says it like this in 2.3. The message of Christ that he brought of salvation was attested to by the, by the apostles who heard him. So the apostles declared and wrote down Christ's message of salvation in an understandable language so that those who followed them would clearly understand what Jesus wanted, or, yeah, wanted us to know. He wanted you and me to understand. So he wrote down words. Second thing about these words is they came directly from the Spirit of God. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So he taught them. The third person of the Trinity taught them. We call this revelation. Here's what revelation is. In the same way that I asked you, what was I thinking? You guys were hidden to that. You really didn't know. It was dark. You could speculate, but until I said, I want to go to Virginia Beach and make saltwater taffy and see blue crabs. Instantly in your mind, some of you saw that taffy being pulled and saw the blue shell of the crab. It was revealed to you. In the same way, the Holy Spirit reveals to us what God's thinking. 
It's amazing. Here's a question. Do you think the Holy Spirit agrees with the Father and the Son and what He wants to communicate, or does He teach different things? That's a big one, because some people think He teaches different things, but He's one in essence with the Father and the Son, so He'll teach the same things the Father and the Son teaches. Is the message consistent between the three persons, or is the Holy Spirit a maverick teaching new and different things all the time? They are the same God, so they teach the same things, reveal the same mystery, namely, the Holy Spirit wants us to focus on what we just read last week, the incredible work of Christ and his cross. Third thing, thirdly, the Spirit's words are truths, true truths. They're certain. They're certain. Truth doesn't change. So that means... The Holy Spirit doesn't teach us speculations. He doesn't teach us hunches. He doesn't teach us, ah, I'm getting this feeling. He teaches us clear, certain truths so those who have the Spirit can make certain judgments. Look at verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. So the person who has the Spirit, through the Spirit, can know things certainly and then judge things. But this all things is a tricky, tricky thing. It's specifically revealing to what Jesus has done on the cross and what that means for us through the cross in the future. This statement about judging all things, one writer says is prone to incredible problems and has been in the church for, for centuries. A lot of people in the church have taken the phrase all things, meaning the person who's full of the Spirit is beyond discipline, correction, and counsel. No, that's not what it means. There's some people who, are, who said, I have the Spirit, and he showed me these things, and they're all going to come true. That's not what that means. In fact, it says in other passages, prophets are subject to the words of the prophets. It also says in other passages, the Holy Spirit teaches us that we must admonish and correct people concerning sinful actions and sinful or errant teaching. All things also does not mean a person full of the Holy Spirit is going to be given special insight into prophetic events. The Spirit showed me that he's coming back next year. How come he showed you, but when Jesus, who was on the earth, who was filled with the Spirit, had no idea when the day or hour was? It's kind of arrogant, isn't it? Some people who are filled by the Holy Spirit believe that they have been given special glories of heaven and dreams and visions. Paul said when he was in the Spirit, he went to paradise, but he was not allowed to talk about it. In fact, he's given a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble so he wouldn't talk about it. But yet there's people talking about all of these glories all the time. So what does all things mean? All things mean is a spiritual person who's filled with the Spirit isn't subject, number one, to human, natural judgment, concerning salvation and spiritual truths. But also that they are given insight into God's revelations in the Bible about Jesus, our salvation, and our inheritance that's kept in heaven for us. So here's what, I, what I'm saying about words. I'm going to sum up what I think Paul's saying in this whole section. God the Father speaks heavenly wisdom secret wisdom through the Spirit, we call this revelation, 
in the understandable language of the Son. It's called the Incarnation. Jesus was made flesh. Jesus spoke our language. And it is recorded for all of us who know him, John 17, 20. This is for those who believe through the Scriptures. Scriptures means authority. You can trust this. This book is his mind. This book is his secret shared. Peter confirms this in 2 Peter 1, 16-21. I want you to write that down for later. 2 Peter 1, 16-21. Read that. It talks about, Peter says, I saw, I saw the heavens open, and I saw Jesus glorified, and I heard a voice from heaven say, this is my beloved son. Peter says, I got to see this. You want to talk about a sign and wonder. Who would like to see that? The heavens open, Jesus in lightning clothes, and hearing God's voice. That'd be amazing. Peter writes, I saw it, but you have the prophetic word made more perfect, made more certain, which was written down by the prophets as the Holy Spirit led them to write. So this book is written by the Holy Spirit. I was, uh, I told you earlier how I follow this group of people who left uh, the NAR organization, New Apostolic Reformation organization. And uh, last week I read about a lady who wrote a testimony where she was with one group for four years. And in those four years, she was encouraged to look for the dead rising from the dead. She was encouraged to look for gold falling from the sky. She was encouraged to look for legs that were lengthened back to size. She was encouraged to look for actual tongues of fire like the first apostle says. She was encouraged to sing songs, the same song, for hours at a time, hoping for healing. She was honest. She said, honestly, I saw very, very, very little of it. I felt manipulated after four years. And she said, I left exhausted. What brought her back to faith? She says she learned how to read the Bible for the first time the right way. She writes, so what is the takeaway from all of this? Learn from my experience. Research everything before pursuing it. There are so many organizations, he says, that claim to do great things in the name of God that are so wrong. She says, do I hate people I met at the organization? No, not at all. I love them dearly still. I love the friendships I've made. Do I regret going there? She says this, yes, with all my being. It left me more damaged spiritually than when I first got there. I now know know to go to God's word without expecting to get any experience, but to just know who God is. I have learned to approach him without the narcissism about me. I need, I need, I need. And here's what she said at the end. What I learned the most, just because something looks nice on the outside does not mean it is good on the inside. All that glitters is not gold, nor all that sparkles silver. I added to that poem, but the man on the cross, as expressed on the written page, is enough to save. Do you have the mind of Christ? Do you know what he's written in here? Do you love it? Somebody came up and said, well, isn't there more that the Spirit does? Yes, there is, and we'll talk about it in 1 Corinthians 12. But I'm talking primarily, how does God work through the words that His Spirit wrote down? 
they really are that they really are the thoughts of God. Secrets that you can understand. 